songs we're singing today and how they all fit together in our topic. I have uh, one little invitation to give to you. I'd like for you to join with me in the celebration of an event in my life. When I was a teenager in high school, I attended a, a meeting at Emory University for young men mostly, but also women, who were dealing with the call to preach. I went to that event, and before it was over, I had said yes to Jesus' invitation to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. That was 16 years ago today. Some of you are looking at me and say, that couldn't be so. <laughs> Menlo Park Church in the San Francisco Bay Area recently voted to leave their denomination and join another new denomination that was gathered. The reason for this basically was that more and more churches in their former denomination were not clear about the deity of Jesus. The issue of who is Jesus was a stumbling block for some of them. I said, we cannot tolerate being a part of a denomination that is not sure about that. So 93% of their congregation voted to leave the denomination because they understood who Jesus is and would, could not worship a lesser God. I'm so proud of the fact of being a part of a clergy collegium of Tim, Anthony, and myself who felt led that during this Lenten season we're going to be talking about Jesus, who Jesus is. And we pray that God will bless us in all of our understanding and our beliefs. We're going to rely during these days upon what Jesus said about himself. Not what others said, not what we think about it, not what a majority rule would indicate, but what we go to Jesus. We'll ask Jesus what who do you say that you are? And through the book of John, there's some tremendous claims on Jesus' part. A lot of them are uh, metaphorical. I am the great good shepherd. I am the water. I am the bread. I am the gate, etc. We'll be dealing with those issues and what they mean for us during the days that lie before us. Today we're looking at the foundation of that, this term of I am. You recall the story of Moses in the burning bush? And after a brief conversation, God had let Moses know that he was going to send him back to Egypt, from which he had escaped after killing a man, and tell the Pharaoh there, let my people go. And one of the things that Moses had to deal with, he said, oh, now when I go back and I tell them that you sent me for this purpose, they're going to say, well, well, who was it? What was his name? Whom shall I say is coming? And 
he said, here's my name. I am that I am. Shortened version is I am. God was saying, I am the one who self-exists. I don't depend on others. No one created me. I do not have to have any other being in the world to be who I am. I am. And so Jesus picks up on this. In one place, fourth chapter, he's dealing with the scribes and Pharisees. They're questioning him. Quite often they were more interested in trying to trip him up and gain things they could use against him in a trial than they were in learning anything. But he said, before Abraham was, I am. And for him to claim that was considered to be blasphemy. The scripture goes on to say that they began to collect the, the stones and to get ready to stone him to death because he had uttered that, that I am God. And Jesus slipped from their midst because his time was not yet. And he got away. But he continues through the book of John to say I am this and I am that. He's very clear in the passage that uh, Jimmy read a moment ago. He says to them, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What could be more clear to us than that? C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors in that great little book, Mere Christianity. If you haven't read that and you're looking for something to read during the Lent season, I recommend it. It's a small book. Wow, it, it, it packs the truth in picturesque language. And this is what C.S. Lewis has to say about what some people think of Jesus. He starts off by saying, Some people say, I accept that Jesus was a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And C.S. Lewis said, This is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said all the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who thinks he's a poached egg, I love that analogy, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either he was a man and is the son of God, or a madman and something worse. You can't shut him up, but you can shut him up as a fool. You can spit on him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Wow, what a powerful statement of who this man is, Jesus Christ. He said to the disciples, there, the context you will recall, this is in the upper room, this is the night before Jesus is crucified, and he's trying to prepare the disciples for that time when he no longer physically will be among them. And he says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice he does not say, I'm one of the ways, I'm part of the truth, I'm some other kind of life. No, he says very emphatically, I am the way, the one and only way. The truth, the one and only truth. The life, the one and only life he presents to us. And the Bible often uses the concept of a way, a road, a path, as an example of the, the life of faith. We find the psalmist saying, If there be any wicked, offensive way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. 
Isaiah says, this is the way, God's way, walk ye in it. And Jesus, of course, continually invited people to do what? Follow me, walk with me on the way, on the path, on the road, and let's go together in this highway of holiness. Jesus is our guide. A little safari was going through the jungle in Africa. And the guide went through this thicket. He had a machete in his hand. He was big and strong. And he was whacking here and there, back and forth, to make just a little way for those behind him to go. And one in the party became nervous because the thicket was so great that it, it almost brought it out of the sun. So he called to the guy, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's the path? And that guy turned around and put his hands on his hips and said, I'm the path. Just follow me. That's what Jesus says to us. I'm not going to point you to a way. I'm not going to give you some things to think about as whether they're truth or not. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. Follow me. Jesus makes this clear over and over. I'm going to read a number of of scriptures here, and I know our teaching span often doesn't do well with that, but I, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying, what the scriptures say, not what John Horton is saying about this issue. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, we call the prologue, those famous words regard the incarnation. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only God, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was not a deceiver or a fraud. If he was lying about this, could we believe anything he said? No, of course not. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. In the, act, in the book of the Acts, the early apostle said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name among heaven given among mankind by which we must be saved. And then the, we all know John 3.16, but there are a couple of more verses which follow, which expand that concept. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only begotten Son, Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. If you were here last Sunday and heard uh, the choir do the anthem of standards, uh, great, powerful uh, music with uh, Jesus saying these things. Sent God in the world, God sent him to, not to condemn the world, but maybe may believe in his one and only Son. Eighth chapter. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. he. Who's he? God. And you will indeed die in your sins. In his writing of the epistle, the writer of the Gospel of John adds this, this is the testimony. God has given eternal life and life in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Pretty clear. Paul has his words to young Timothy to make sure he stays on track. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all of us. He's the one and only truth. And he says, I am the life. Life, this is, this is two life he's focusing in on. One is the life we live now in 
this flesh in this place. And he said, if you follow me, I'll give you life. I'll give you life more abundant. Life will be full. Life will be creative. Life will be wonderful. Life will be victorious. It will be joyous if you will walk in this way. The other way, of course, is the eternal life way. Jesus said, I've come to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you with me so you'll be where I am. If anybody begins to discuss to you what is what is heaven like, all you've got to say, well, the main thing about heaven is that that's where Jesus is. Amen? That's what we have to rest on. That's what we have to claim. Praise God. The way, the truth, and the life. David Platt wrote a book called The Radical, and he describes an experience he had. He was in Indonesia, and he had the occasion outside of one of the elaborate, colorful uh, temples there. He was having a conversation with a Buddhist and a Muslim about their religion. And their concept basically was this. Well, we have many religions, and all of them are basically the same when we get to the heart. We may differ in some of the minutia, but basically we all believe the same thing. Well, David Platt replied, well, see what you're saying. You're, you're kind of saying that here's a mountain. God's up on the top of the mountain. And some of us may go up this side of the mountain to get there. Some of us may go up this side. It's called by another and the other. And said, and, and sort of all of us get to the top where God is. And they say, yes, you're, you're getting it. You're getting it now. They say, well, let me propose. What if I told you that God is at the top of the mountain, but God himself has come down the mountain to save us. And in their reply said, oh, that would be great. And David Black said, let me introduce you to Jesus. Jesus comes down. I'm glad we had to do it. Heaven came down. Jesus came down to us. We don't climb the mountain up to him. He comes to us. The one and only Jesus comes to us. Many of you have read books by Matt Lucado that according to the library record in our library, many of his books are there. He's a very prolific writer. And he helps us to understand this concept by saying, suppose I want to fly to Rome. And I check with a travel agent and say, I need a ticket for Rome, Italy. And the agent says, great, I have a flight to Sydney, Australia. And the man asked, well, will that take me to Italy, to Rome? No, but it has great in-flight dining and movies. No. I want a flight that will take me to Rome. And so he's told to try another airline. He does. He says, well, that airline take me to Rome. And that 
answer is no, but it has awards for on-time arrivals. No, I want to go to Rome. Will that flight take me to Rome? No, it will not. Not every flight leads to Rome. Not every road, not every path leads to God. Only Jesus Christ leads us to God. He who saved us not based on what we do, but on what He has done. I want you to consider during this Lenten season as we explore this issue of who God is. <clears throat> to use that little prayer that you've heard me use before in these services, it's in the hymnal, written by Richard of Chichester back in the 12th century. And he says, Dear Lord, day by day, three things I pray. To love thee more dearly, to know thee more clearly, and to follow thee more nearly, day by day by day by day. I'd like to invite you to make that prayer your prayer during this Lenten season. For he alone is worthy. He alone is worthy of our giving ourselves wholly, completely to him. So that we can pray, Lord, it's the desire of my heart to love you more dearly. It's the longing of my soul know you more clearly. It's all I want to do is to follow you. And to follow you more nearly. As we sing our concluding hymn, another one of these great songs and choruses, what we call the, the medley, that's an artificial name we just used to identify. And we're going to use one of the hymns in that section of the hymnal called My Jesus, I Love Thee. You know, one of the things that I sometimes do to make a meaning a scripture or a hymn more meaningful is to change the words a little bit, make it more personally. And when I sing this song, I change the thee, which is rather formal. And I just put in the word you. And I just say by Jesus, I love you. And I'd like for you, if you'd like to sort of renew, launching out on the path, the way, the truth, the life, to come in for a time of prayer. To pray that prayer. Let that, this hymn be the, the hymn of your heart. And if you'll make this a, a great launching out of a new, deeper experience of Jesus Christ so that you will know within your soul who he is, not because somebody told you, because you've experienced it yourself. Will you stand and will you come and make that renewed commitment at this altar as we sing all three stanzas of one second?